The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Uh, hi. Hi, everyone. This is Gwendolyn, and I want to welcome you to the Visual Workplace. I also want to be the 200th person today who wishes you a Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's Here we are in 2012. I'm very happy about that. 2011 was an interesting year, and 2012 is a new one. So, Welcome to the Visual Workplace, our weekly radio show where we explore and celebrate workplace visuality. And we learn more and more, I hope, about how to embed the intelligence, our intelligence into our operational system through visual devices. How do we let the workplace speak? So many benefits from that. Certainly bottom line benefits, 15 to 30% increase in productivity. 15% is what we experience all the time. 30 no longer surprises us. Plus a tremendous cultural alignment. Because you know, Visuality is a language, as I've been saying, and when we all speak, understand, and embed a language that is commonly understood and accepted and has detail, then we are automatically talking the same language, moving towards the same language, and understanding our operational systems, whether we're in a hospital, in a factory, open pit mine, one of my favorite uh, venues to cite, a dry cleaners, a restaurant, retail, Utilities, doesn't matter if we are, we've got lots and lots of monument machines. They're dying to speak as well. They don't want to be dumb. So we give them a voice and they speak to us and we speak back. So I want to, I want to offer some apologies. However, <clears throat> just before the holidays, before we shut down for the holidays, I had a great dinner with friends, fabulous food, duck and Russian cheesecake. And anyway, Either I was sick to begin with or something in this fabulous dinner made me sick. I was sick as a dog and I didn't get a chance to prepare for my show just after Christmas. I arranged for an encore, Visual Thinkers Wanted, but the description didn't get posted. I'm sorry. It's doubtlessly my fault and I am told that it will be posted by the end of the week and I similarly owe you apologies because in my blur of holidays, I forgot to prepare to send out the e-card that I normally send on Monday so you have some chance. I think you were probably at the movies the same way I was on uh, New Year's, the day after New Year's, both Sunday and Monday. I saw three movies. They were really good. <laughs> and I've had my fill of popcorn. So my brain got lost in the festivities. I will do better this year, this new year. That's what New Year's are for, to start 
and do better. I really love preparing for these shows. I love finding and framing interesting visual workplace topics. And um, it usually takes me two or three hours to kind of get the shape of things, even when I have a guest. And some people may find it hard to believe that we are still walking through the basic doorways of the model, the doorways that I call the 10 doorways into a visual workplace. Well, I have even worse news for them. We are still on nesting doorway number one, (laughs) visual order, visual inventiveness, what you may call 5S, what I like to call 5S on steroids, or workplace uh, operator-led visuality work that makes sense. We've only scanned the other nine doorways, but that'll change soon. This is honestly, my show is honestly not meant to be just about 5S. It's just that it's such a rich doorway, and it has a lot of triumphs and traps in it that we're moving through those. I have developed a somewhat different perspective on it as I've been working in the field for these now 29 going on 30 years. I failed at the 5S that many folks are still doing today. They have moderate success, but that success was never, I felt, worth the effort and also worth the vision. So what we're doing now is we're, we're going to kind of finish up with the mechanics of 5S today. I'm going to map that out for you in a second. And then we're going to start moving through the nine other doorways. They also have many layers to them. And that will get us to a point of definition. We will have defined the outer boundary of what the categories of function are, the categories of visual function in the visual workplace. Okay, so we're kind of developing a framework. Today we'll continue our discussion about getting visual through the mechanics of operator-led visuality, 5S, And we'll trace back for a moment through borders and broadly repeat their important functionality and some of the things I mentioned last in my last live show. When we do, I want to weave in a few remarks about um, training operator-led visuality, the role of the trainer. It's a very, very important one, as I'm sure you understand. I am I'm intending to do a whole show on training visuality, but I want to mention a few things in this show. I'll name again that array of border types because I really want you to get that borders can and should be highly inventive and very functional. They actually serve a specific purpose and many different specific purposes, and that's why there are different types of borders. And then we'll move on to the second element of what I call the visual wear or automatic recoil. We'll talk about addresses, and I'll provide the tips that I consider helpful in maximizing their use. That'll go on. We'll we'll go into some depth there, and I think you'll find it very interesting. I think there are some important principles to talk about in addresses. Mostly I want you to recognize that there's more that can be done than simply put a white label with some black letters on it and hope that folks will see it and respond to it and make the right decision based on it. And then we'll talk about the third element, ID labels, the third element of automatic recall, the visual wear. And that will bring us through the so-called mechanics of 5S, that part where you may call it set things in order. I call it set locations through a border address and, if possible, an ID label. With those in place, value-add associates, and I hope there are many of you listening right now, 
are going to be well on their way to robust visual order, robust visual wear. Then the drilling begins. The basics are in place, and then we begin to drill, drill, drill. The focus shifts from, shifts from individual borders and addresses to creating small systems of linked devices and attack on motion that we call visual mini-systems. This is drill, 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 taking those basics and drilling, 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 and creating these wonderful masterpieces, these systems. When this is achieved in the behind methodology that supports a rollout, we call this going to yellow. We have this kind of traffic-like progression that we use through a map. We call it the laminated map to track the conversion progression. The starting point is red. Let's get started. We have a a long way to go. And then yellow is the midpoint when um, the visual wear is in place in my approach for everything that casts a shadow, which is the real criteria. And then we move to green when visuality is sustainable and becomes established for the customer as well. We're working with those two questions. What do I need to know? which gives us control over our corner of the world. And then what do I need to share? How may I help you? Internal customer, internal supplier, external customer, external supplier, and the language then extends it, ripples out and connects the organization and also organizations, your supply chain, your customers. So we're going to be talking about mini systems as a way to drilling, drill deeper, By the end of today's session, I think you will see how the visual wear gets firmly in place, driven by that first question. What do I need to know? Okay. And then at that stage, the operator's need to know is pretty handsomely and visually implemented. He or she feels in control of her, his corner of the world, physical safety, psychologically safety, a sense of growing mastery, and great interest, great appetite for pursuing motion in its more diverse forms, in the kind of micro level, the kind that you wouldn't even notice in the busyness of a day. It's a very interesting scientific process, if you will. In the next stage, what do I need to share? That's customer-driven, and we're going we're gonna to cover that in a different show. There are some other elements there that I can introduce other premises. So I, I also want to give you a sense of what is um, – what is coming up during this coming month. Next week, we'll talk about that behind-the-scenes infrastructure. I just mentioned the laminated map and six other what I consider to be startup requirements for every successful implementation, whether you're starting with operators or starting with supervisors or starting with your engineers. There are kind of requirements if a visual conversion is to be successful, culturally speaking, and also in terms of the bottom line, that 15 to 30% increase in productivity in engineering as well, in marketing as well. The week following that, we'll start opening the other doorways, doorway number two, visual standards, doorway number three, visual displays and production control boards. This is the doorway that's owned by your supervisors and your middle managers. Very, very important. I think not very well understood to tell you the truth, these visual displays, I think. So let's see. And then we will move into uh, at the end of January. We're going to be in good stead. Oh, I know. And then and then in the third week in January, we'll be doing visual metrics, visual problem solving. This is Dory number four, along with visual leadership. 
We'll spend an entire episode on that. And then at the end of uh, January, we will confer our first ever Visual Workplace 10 Doorways Prize. The award winners are three, one in the U.S., one in Mexico, and one in Europe. And we'll spend that show talking about the triumphs and challenges of deep transformation, the kind of transformation that results in what I call showcase level. Early in February, I am happy to announce I'll be traveling to India and to Australia back in March. And there should be a good chance to have several great interviews there. I'm going to be visiting a couple of companies in Australia that have pretty deep in visuality. We're lining them up now. Now I will tell you about my secret, my secret hope. I almost got an invitation. I got a half an invitation a couple of years ago to work with the Aboriginal population in Australia, which would be such an interesting opportunity because we are talking about uh, a group of people who don't use the same language we do, don't have the kind of thought formations that we do, and visual would be a prime candidate. This would be in their hospital system. I hope it happens, and you can be sure that we'll report on it here. So so let's begin with a quick recap on borders. So we're now beginning the, the subject matter for today. And I, I also want to tell you that I'm going to slow down a little bit. You know, I'm so excited to be talking to you. Sometimes I get a little carried away. And I was listening to some of my shows over um, the holiday and I thought, oh my God, I'm driving, driving, driving like I'm racing, a ho- like I'm the racehorse and, the, and the, the jockey. Let me just slow down a little bit and I, hopefully the absorption level will improve. So we're going to take a little bit of a dive into – we're going to take a deep dive into addresses and we're going to give a scan now to borders because I mentioned it the last time. Remember, we put borders in place only after we've done smart placement thinking. This is the select locations. What is the right location for each workplace item in relationship to the other items? Do you remember that formula? Function plus location equals flow. Only when we recognize the true function of an object can we place it correctly, smartly, in the work area, in the work environment. When you understand an item's true function, then you can begin to understand its relationship to the other items. For example, a desk isn't just a desk. A desk is the paperwork function. A machine is a conversion function. A wash tank in many factories is a prep function. And on and on. So you begin to recognize that function. And when you do, you put things in place in relationship to that function. If workplace items are not smartly placed, their location will trigger the enemy. Motion moving without working rather than the reverse. So smart placement is a thinking step. And by the way, one of the main beautiful purposes of workplace visuality is to give people an opportunity to think and think deeply about what they are doing, why and how. The improvement comes from this understanding. It isn't just cookie cutter pasted on top. It comes from people. It's ignited in people. They begin to recognize, see their work differently. And of course, this is a tremendous benefit for the organization to have this thinking population, larger profit margins, getting people more fully engaged at work mentally, emotionally, physically, and even spiritually. So we're going to slide into a break right now, and we'll pick up visual wear set locations 
in depth when we come back. Thank you. Talking to you in a minute. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. So we're going to now get into the visual where you have now improved, verified, validated, or improved the current location of function in your area through the principles of smart placement, and now you're ready to nail those locations in place, if I can use that word, through visual location information, visual devices that embed the visual wear. At the heart of the visual wear is automatic recoil. They're kind of interchangeable, although sometimes an item doesn't have to find its way back home because it's consumed. It's going in the right direction and we'll never see it again. It's going to go off to the customer. So automatic recoil is slightly different than the visual wear, but very close. And we begin with this embedding borders on the floor and then we move to the walls and then onto surfaces and benches and then into and under cabinets and benches and drawers and whatever. And the standard is, if you will, the mandate is for everything that casts a short shadow, for everything that casts a sh- shadow, a border, a home address, and if possible, an ID label for everything that casts a shadow. We say, if possible, an ID label for, because the ID label is for the thing itself and sometimes that thing is consumable. For example, if you had a little bowl of 
M&Ms, I think I used this illustration before, you're not going to put an ID label on each M&M. You're going to put an ID label on the bowl that says Gwenny's Bowl of IBM, keep your hands off, or something like that. You put a border around the bowl and maybe you repeat the address on that. So you have an ID label on the bowl, but not on each M&M, even though they cast a shadow. They'd be like the cardboard. They'd be like the screws that you have in your, in your small bins. So this requirement of everything that casts a shadow applies equally to that which is movable, moves around, and that which does not, even your monument machines. And I'm going to make a case for you, which I've talked about before, but I hope to say it very cogently and clearly this time. Borders is, Borders represents a language practically of its own. It is powerful, and at the borders will get smarter as we get sm- smarter. They have high functionality. They are workhorses of order. It's a wide vocabulary. You can have borders that add dimensions of meeting, extending the border function, showing the range of motion, borders that allow us to count at a glance, borders uh, the size of which will hold 75 spools that need to be returned to the supplier when the 75 count is completed. And the border itself will do the counting for you. So you'll know it at a glance. When it's filled, oh, time to send it back to the supplier. Dots and commas. Person with borders, which allow you the bordering function, but also allow you access. This is especially important for plant that have, plants that have high whip. Slanty borders to make it easy to put and pick for the forklift driver who has the devil of a time making right angles just because you like, you know, grids. We put them on a slant. We lose a little bit of space, but we more than make up for it in safety and time and the elegance of use. Photocopied borders. Instead of doing shadow boards, many operators will carefully place their tools on top of a photocopy machine, take a picture, cut them out, put them in place. Sometimes you have to offset a little bit because sometimes you don't know when the tool is there or when it's just its border, but it's a lot of fun. It's very interesting. Double border functions, all kinds of ways to create double border functions where you have one border sitting on top of another border because the space is not, the spot is not used at the same time. So you're building time into it. For example, one plant in Holland, one a prize-winning plant, we're all not on trailers. Sometimes this particular area had one small border surrounded by one bigger border. And this is the story. Sometimes they had a lot, big border. Sometimes they had a little, little border. But they never had a lot and a little at the same time so they could use the same space. They had sequencing built into their borders. So interesting. And color-coded borders. Actually, color-coded borders are a um, framework of address, not of borders, but of differentiating between borders. So it's part of an address, and that's an important point as we move on. So I want you to kind of get that, and and I want you to understand that it's really important, many, many things to say about your preparation, but you have to decide on the material or materials you're going to use for your borders, and then you have to, in prep, before you launch, figure out how to get those borders to stick so they're going to be down there for 10 months to 12 months and how to remove them overnight. 
because you must have quick changeover. If you don't have quick changeover in your borders, when you get smarter, you're either going to decide to remove the borders and never put them back again in case you get smarter again, or you're going to decide not to do with borders at all. This is like the supposition that we had 20, 30 years ago before Shigeo Shingo came along in his quick changeover paradigm when we had huge batch numbers because there was a belief that it, that changing over the machine is what really cost you money. And so you had to do these economic order quantities, these gigantic orders, 100,000, whatever, 10,000, 1,500 instead of one or whatever the batch size is. Sometimes a one piece flow isn't really exactly relevant, but the principle of that could only be exercised and tested when we got past this idea that changeovers of machines had to take two, three hours instead of nine minutes, 11 minutes, three minutes. I saw a machine once at Ford, this is 1980s, that took three days to change over. They got it down to three hours. took them a lot of work. It was a seven-station transfer press, very complex. But what a difference that made where one minute at the time was counted as $12,000. Any minute the machine was down, you were losing $12,000 a minute. Okay? So that paradigm was broken. you got to do the same thing with borders. Okay? And then you'll change them and you'll get smart and celebrate getting smart by changing the border. So there are many reasons that borders make sense, and I outlined them. My particular book that I do this in quite a bit of detail is my most recent one, Work That Makes Sense. I recommend it to you. It really is chuck-a-buck filled with the, the stuff that I've been learning over these years about certainly its operator-led visuality, certainly about operator-level visuality. There are many reasons that borders make sense, but I want to focus on the kingpin, the pivotal logic. Borders are the single most powerful visual device available for establishing and maintaining visual order because of the following. Because the mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism. The mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism. Now, I want to take a moment right now and jump out a little bit out of the frame and say to trainers, trainers, if you want robust, innovative borders, you have to develop your own knowledge base about them. And basically, you have to fall in love with them, which is what happened to me. Who knew? I thought he was just another guy, but he turned out to be, you know, the focus of almost 30 years of my life, understanding borders. I found love. So interesting, always something new to learn. How often have you heard a group of eager learners reflect the limited thinking of their, the limited understanding of their trainers by dismissing borders when anyone who has studied the function of borders would have understood them not just as a business solution, but one that provides physical and psychological safety. Visuality is a language, and you trainers must must develop your sensitivity to and appetite for that language if you are to train others. This is a, you know, this is a stewardship. Your students, even if they're twice your age, will still map to your level. And far too often, that level is not just uninspired, it is uninformed. Don't fall into that trap. Do not expect a group that do not expect to spend 45 minutes on training 5S and have enough grit there for 
to inspire and inform others and to get these fabulous innovative solutions that really function for the business and that express me. Remember, I did that Naruto poem for you last time we were together. Something ignited in my soul. Fever or unremembered wings and I went my own way deciphering that burning fire and I wrote the first bare line pure foolishness, pure nothing John Pacheco who put a border around his little coffee cup was the first his first visual device and he's been generating visual devices now for since 1994 he's like a machine, he loves it it expresses himself something ignited in my soul and I went my own way deciphering that burning fire I wrote the first bare line pure, pure foolishness, pure nothing and the heavens opened I found my voice oh wonderful this is your fiduciary responsibility we're not talking labels and lines here so the first reason for borders is because the mind is, by its nature, a pattern-seeking mechanism. There's plenty of research that went on before I was born that talked about this cognitive resonance. The most powerful gateway to the mind is through patterns. Okay, And when we lay down borders, what we're doing is we're laying down the pattern of work. And it is visible, it is there physically, and we recognize it. And when it isn't there, the mind is still looking for it. And what typically happens when we go into a, a new environment is what typically happens is we latch onto the first human and we get our questions answered and find our orientation in that manner. Mm? I have the same experience when I go into a plant and I'm thinking, oh my God, I don't know anything. Then I take, it, take a deep breath and I go into the fray again and my expertise begins to kick in. But I'm searching for that pattern as well. That is the nature of the mind. And when it isn't there, the, the burning need disappears in about two weeks. But it's still that need lodges in our mind as a little bit of noise, a little bit of stress, a little bit of irritation, a little bit of unanswered question. We'll pick this up after the break. I hope you find it interesting. This is the reason why borders are so important. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Entrepreneurial Insights is your weekly excursion into the world of business ownership. Presented by Sunbelt Business Brokers, the leading business brokerage and intermediary firm in the world, Entrepreneurial Insights will examine critical issues that impact both existing and prospective business owners. If you own or want to own a small business, listen for Entrepreneurial Insights with John Davies, Pino Boccinello, and Matt Ottaway. Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. 
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. So, hi there. <laughs> so, let's continue this conversation. When the border isn't, when the borders aren't there, the mind will seek Understanding, seek meaning, seek a, seek a framework. What do I know? Nothing. How can I find out? Mm, I'll find a human. So it creates this kind of nervousness, disorientation, if you will. But what happens when the pattern is in place? When you have beautiful, robust borders in place, the mind recognizes it and it says, ah, I get it. But then what happens next? And that's the important question for you. Visual thinkers in the making. What happens next? What does the person do next? What does the mind do next? Well, if we accept as a premise that the mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism, then the mind will seek the next level of pattern. We'll sense that there is a next level of understanding, transparency, coherency, meaning, and we'll engage the mind-body into creating that, especially if you have a good framework in place, good infrastructure for creative thinking and this kind of mind creation. And we put that in place, the next level of pattern, the next level of coherency, visually in place, language-wise, visual language. And the mind says, yeah, okay, I got it. I'm good at this. And then immediately, because it's its nature, it's its appetite, its enjoyment is to find the next level of pattern. We have a name for this, and that name is very valued amongst the people who are listening, amongst myself. In fact, you wouldn't even be here today if you didn't value that name. We have a name for seeking the next level of of pattern, putting it in place, seeking the next level of pattern, putting it in place, seeking the next level, building it, building it. That name is continuous systematic improvement. And when we look at that, when we frame it in that way, we realize that, wow, it is our nature to continually improve. This isn't something we have to persuade people about. We simply need to ignite it, to frame it so that it can work. Because it wants to work. It's its nature. So that's a way of framing patterns, in my view, in a very, very high and powerful position for your journey to continuous improvement. And to move away from this idea that it's lines. It's not. It's functionality. Okay? I hope that I've been at least provocative, if not convincing, about this. People acquire a set of anchors. They have sought a pattern and they find it. Or they have sought a pattern and they put one in place. And eventually this macro pattern begins to emerge. And then they start drilling deeply into a micro level. Patterns are the most effective gateway into the mind. Let's trigger that. Let's make the 
mind our ally. Okay, so now I want to move on to addresses, the second element of the visual wear. A great deal of motion gets triggered when addresses are inaccurate, unreadable, incomplete, weak, or simply absent. In far too many companies, addresses are overlooked They're overlooked or merely given lip service. It's not enough to throw some parts onto a shelf and hang a sign that says parts storage and leave the rest to other people to figure out. This is a non-approach. It's not just inadequate, but it is a recipe, a prescription for accidents and mix-ups, defects and long downtime and long lead time and unhappy employees, unhappy customers, plummeting, oh no, plummeting profit margins. It's like a roadmap without any names on it. Shelves and racks and benches, drawers and walls and floors, they hold items that are vital to us. But without excellent addresses, we have no clear way of finding them, retrieving them, getting them back. Addresses can be very specific. They can be highly generic. And no matter how great an address is, it will serve us only until the next incident of motion informs us that the address needs to be upgraded. Please, please, please do not standardize too soon. This is a great temptation on the part of managers. They standardize. They find a good address. They do cookie cutter 45-minute 5S. It is right to link standardization with a journey to excellence. But I want you to think about cultivating thinking because in far too many companies, managers especially want everything the same, uniform, predictable. They are mistaken. Take for addresses, for example. The faction that supports same, uniform, predictable addresses almost always want addresses to be that, the same shape, the same color, the same size. That's not a move towards standardization. That's cutting cookies. Cookie cutter standardization is no standardization at all. It is death by sameness. This robs the enterprise of high performance excellence and it robs employees of the satisfaction that comes from genuine inventive engagement. We call it thinking and the robust creative solutions that derive from that thinking. For me, one of the hallmarks of a spirited and engaged workforce and a genuinely effective visual conversion is what I call the weird factor. In polite company, it's called the local factory factor. I want to see things weird. I want to see visual devices that I've never seen before. I don't want them to be suspiciously similar, appearing to occur on the same level of mind. Something's not right with the, with the rollout when that happens. Either the good enough bar is set far too low and as a result the company standardizes on improvement too soon and too quickly or no time or not enough time is set aside for improvement activity. People have to kind of stuff it in somewhere. They don't have time to think, to do, to test their own ideas. We'll be talking about that issue when we talk about the infrastructure in our next show how important improvement time is. In either case, visual improvement process, the process, the progress is short-circuited. Instead of standardizing on a specific outcome, like a specific type of address, you would serve yourself better, maybe you're already doing this, by requiring that a specific 
function be put into place, not a specific way to express the function. For example, I love it when companies say there will be an in and out function address in every, not only in every department, but on every bench. You're not mandating how it will look. You're requiring the functionality. There are dozens of ways of creating addresses. Let the experimentation begin. Managers don't try to control that. Seek to make sure every department has a highly visual location for newly delivered goods and materials, a separate highly visual location for goods and materials that are ready for removal or pickup. Now, that's a smart standard. And it doesn't contradict this idea of inventiveness, which you want to develop. Okay? So, let's look at some addresses. I'm going to just kind of walk through some uh, uh, rules of addresses or tips, if you will. And uh, and it's kind of like a dress. Uh, I'm sorry. It's kind of like a list. Addresses can be fixed in a range of locations. They can be embedded in the border itself. They can be fixed on a wall or a surface behind. They can be standing posted as a standing sign that can be behind the border, over the border, airborne, and so on and so on. The one place an address can't be is nowhere. The only instance in all my many years of practicing and coaching, I've only found one situation where an address for border location is not required, and that is when there is an aisle or traffic function. It's continuous border. Traffic aisles cutting across the entire production site across all departments. I saw this at the Arnott's plant in Sydney, Australia, mentioned it, and they did a bang-up job. They have this green, beautiful green aisle snaking through the plant so you can find your way. And every time the forklift traffic crosses the the aisle, the uh, pedestrian traffic, there's a hatch mark. So both the forklift driver knows and the pedestrian knows something else is happening in this space. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, but that's a single exception that I have found where addresses don't relate. What I have seen far too much is bordering and sometimes really good bordering and no addresses. Why? How can you get the differentiation? The overriding, one of the overriding principles of visuality is to tell merely by looking. But it is also to tell the difference merely by looking. Merely by looking. So here's four or five um, ways of making more robust addresses. And the absolute assumption requirement is that you will have an address. You will. First, they need to be large enough. Each address large enough for us to easily read at a distance. The basic rule is when you're on foot, two feet, you got to be able to read it. Two feet. And when you're on a forklift or cart, whatever, four feet. Your address has to be right sized at a scale and proportion that fits the setting. You can rarely make an address that's too big, but too small is what I see too often. We have to work too hard. Triggers motion to see a small address. Second thing is use upper and lower case. This goes back to the mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism. When you use the 
all too popular but very problematic, all uppercase addresses, the mind has to vocalize the address as compared to recognize the address because the pattern is gone. All uppercase just gives you a box. And I have to sound out the addresses. That's why in in very uh, high-performance situations like the cockpit of a, of a fighter jet or any airplane, you'll have digital and analog. You'll have the digital blocky readout as a redundancy for your analog or your patterned readout so the mind gets that doubleness. But the mind will recognize the analog, the hands on the clock, a nanosecond faster than the digital readout. This research has been done. Using all caps prevents the mind from identifying the pattern. Okay? You know, when engineers love to write in all caps, this is kind of the way they scream at us. All capitals. Well, luckily, I've been complaining and grumbling about this for so many years that the label makers now make upper and lower case. Brady is one of them, but you can get them almost anywhere nowadays. Third thing is high contrast. Another common address error is to use color. It's okay to use color. But just because black is the opposite of white doesn't make that the best combination. In fact, that is the worst. What happens is black and white, even white on black, that's slightly better, will blur into a kind of unreadable grayness. It's the least easily seen. Uncle Sam, the U.S. government has already done our research for us. They have shown that in a field of color, the human eye is drawn to yellow first, and the best combination is black on yellow. The reverse is also very strong, yellow on black. High contrast, easy to read. You want addresses like that. You want them readable at four feet, not necessarily because of their huge size, but because they're readable. Okay, so let's take a lesson from um, the U.S. government and utilize that. And color coding, well, this is a, a topic. I'll pick this up. We'll make a few points about this. I hope we get to mini systems before the end of the show because I don't want to do a whole nother show with the kind of frayed ends here. But after the break, which is coming up right now, we'll talk about color coding and a few other things about addresses and then move into mini systems. So you get that too. Thanks. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. So we're going to move into color coding now. I just love addresses. You know, I've been doing this, I know you've heard me say it a dozen times, 30 years, and I keep learning thing about, things about addresses. Let me see what I can stuff into this next final piece of our time together. You may think that color coding is a border function. It is not. Color coding, technically speaking, is a form of address embedded in the borders. Colors let us know quickly what the sort is at a glance, but the address provides the t- telling detail, makes us, helps us make the differentiation. Okay? The purpose of color coding is to enhance an address, not to replace it. Don't make the mistake that I've seen in so many companies new to visuality. They use color coding instead of an address. It seems like a time saver, but this shortcut turns into long lead times, mix-ups, accidents, defects, unhappy customers, on, on and on. But there's another reason why color coding by itself doesn't work, why you need to have words or numbers. Some of us are colorblind. Studies show that 8 out of 12, 8 to 12 men out of 100, and about 1% of women, have some degree of colorblind, and it, that's usually in the green yellow, uh, sorry, the green-red spectrum. So when they look at color coding, and you know, red and green is used a lot, they see this kind of grayness. It's not black-gray, it's kind of faded color. So we add words and numbers. We add that that actually comes first in order to make the color coding clear. Okay? You also need to stand, moving on to the next point, standardize your nomenclature. You have to agree on a common set of names for things in your work area. Now, you might call it the JTM1, but somebody else might call that machine the Big big Blue. So standardize, we say standardize your nomenclature. That's a good thing to standardize. Okay? And you'll have the assistance, we'll talk about this doorway number nine of the macro visual team. We'll help with the color code systems and the nomenclature and whatever. Let me give you a few more addresses. Uh, I'm sorry, sorry, a few more tips. Arrows. Oh, my big pet peeve. Please, when you have shelves, please add an arrow. If you want to implement a standard, make this. Mr. Mrs. GM Executive Chief Executive Officer require arrows on shelves. Tell me to which shelf, upper or lower, this address applies. And this is especially important with barcoding, which is already white on black on white and on beige shelves. Put a good, strong, contrasting background. Use arrows to create greater clarity. This is so important. You know, a newcomer might say to visuality might say, oh, the time lost in figuring out which shelf the address applies to can be measured in nanoseconds. The motion is tiny, but the visual thinker knows better. The visual thinker knows to add up the nanoseconds of motion triggered by a single vague address, one without arrows, we're saying right now, over the course of a day, then a week, then a month. That's when the cost of the absence of arrows becomes screamingly apparent and there you go one level higher 
and the now thousands of nanoseconds per month, what does that add up to year after year after year after year? Mm -hmm. I don't believe anyone has ever had the internal fortitude to go to the next level, multiplying all that by the number of products on the shelving unit and the number of shelving units in the department, company, and corporation. But why torment yourself? (laughs) Better to just get arrows going, okay? That is a requirement to which I say hot diggity dog. And now I'm going to just talk about the difference between highly specific addresses, which I call driver license level address. You heard me talk about this before, and generic addresses. They both have a place, and you need to know which is appropriate. Driver license shares your name, your photo, your home address, birth, weight, height, restrictions, driving uh, restrictions, vehicle restrictions, license number, etc., And what you want us to do with your vital organs should you get into a fatal accident. In short, it contains the information needed by others to make a positive identification and take timely, effective action. Some of your addresses need that kind of depth. We have a value-add decision to make, and the address needs to reflect that. The opposite is generic address. My favorite story about a generic address, which is a perfect application, Happened at Green Rubber back in the 1990s. The night shift had ordered a pizza. They expected the delivery within 15, 20 minutes. Everybody continued to work. And after an hour, there was no pizza. They began to inquire, hey, where to inquire about? Where's our pizza? They went to the front desk. Well, the guy was here. What do you mean? Where is it? Where's the pizza? Well, I sent him back. I told him to drop it off in your department. Well, where did he put it? Well, eventually they found it. It was cold. It was hard. (laughs) And that was the night the night shift taught me something. They said, this will never happen again. And they designated a location they simply called Drop Zone. And everything got delivered there. Everything that came to that department went there. Parts, cardboard, tools, and piping hot pizza. (laughs) Is that a great great story? (laughs) The truth. Opening my eyes to what addresses are all about. Fantastic. Oh, I want to talk to you about meaningless addresses and address handles and innovative addresses, photocopied addresses and address systems by phone, by, by, um, by function for tools and by process. But you know what? Get the book. It's all in there. It's very interesting. Maybe I'll make an audio recording of the book so you can have me going on and on about it, screaming. Let's talk about mini systems in our last few moments. A visual mini system is the way to deepen and extend what you've done with borders and addresses to extend the visual information sharing. A visual mini system or mini system for short is a cluster of visual devices that work together to promote a single performance outcome. You see this in the community at your gas station. You'll see it in your school buses. The school bus is laden with Many, many visual devices for a single purpose. Make sure our kids get to school safely and come home and still be in one piece. Very tight focus. The visual components share a purpose. They are located together. They create a specific outcome. They ensure there's a lot of redundancy. And that's what you do when you get the visual language, you get the language of border home address if possible an ID label, and you pick a corner. You focus on a, on a corner. You focus on a cabinet and you bring that cabinet up to an amazing level of transparency systematically. 
You take a shelf. You take a corner or a little system of tools. You do your prep step. Your prep is to go around and look for opportunities. And then you clear out the clutter. You think through and apply the principles of smart placement. Of course, you clean the surfaces because you want them to hold visual information. So you're doing a little micro of the cycle again. You implement the visual wear, border home address, if possible, an ID label. You test your mini system through observation. You use it. You proof it. You go deeper. You make it more visual. You look for hidden forms of motion, hidden information deficits, and you build, 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 build. Fantastic. Now, I am not going to have time to talk to you about prototype mini systems. I think I will talk to you about what happens when people share um, these benches and these cabinets. How do you get the deep level? How do you avoid landing on the most obvious, the easiest, the kind of cookie-cutter response? And and we, we will now begin to talk about implementation issues. We'll begin that with the infrastructure next week. And I think that you'll find that very interesting. So I accomplished my goals for today. I guess I should be happy you're not calling in, but I'm only happy while I'm so pressed. I'm going to start building more space into these uh, shows that we're doing, these sessions, so that you have to call and say hello and call with your problem. Send me some emails that say, oh, I want to, you know, I've got this problem and that problem. And if we get four or five of you together, we can have a whole clinic. You've heard me talk about this. We can talk about this stuff in action. And what do you have to say about that, Galsworth? Hmm? I want to go back to a point about standardization and finish up on that. And that is you do not want visual information sharing that is vanilla. You don't want it plain. You want it rambunctious. You want it inventive. You want Cherry Garcia. You want it to be exciting and different, peculiar. This for me is the greatest measure of the quality of the training, the support, and the quality of the materials that are shared. You want Cherry Garcia with the highest fat content available. You don't want to squelch people's ideas or homogenize everything into acceptable vanilla. Okay. You want it to be extraordinary because these are expressions. I wonder if I have time. I'm going to reach for another poem. This poem, if I'm picking the right one, <laughs> I won't have time. I have a great uh, audio engineer. His name is Brad Comer, and he's whispering things into my ear. He said, time to say goodbye, Gwenny. So I want to thank you very much. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Sharon, my executive producer. Thank you, Visualine Institute. And my new company's name is Visual Thinking, Inc. That just happened on January 1st. Thanks very much for being in touch and listening. I look forward to the next time. You bet I do. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm signing off. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.